Part One of the Giant's Heart, from the Light Princess and Other Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Clive Catterall. Part One of the Giant's Heart, from the Light Princess and Other Fairy Tales, by George MacDonald. There was once a giant who lived on the borders of giant land where it touched on the country of common people. Everything in giant land was so big that the common people saw only a mass of awful mountains and clouds, and no living man had ever come from it, as far as anybody knew, to tell what he had seen in it. Somewhere near these borders, on the other side, by the edge of a great forest, lived a labourer with his wife and a great many children. One day Trixie Wee, as they called her, teased her brother Buffy Bob till he could not bear it any longer, and gave her a box on the ear. Trixie Wee cried, and Buffy Bob was so sorry, and so ashamed of himself, that he cried too, and ran off into the wood. He was so long gone that Trixie Wee began to be frightened, for she was very fond of her brother and she was so distressed that she had first teased him and then cried, that at last she ran into the wood to look for him, though there was more chance of losing herself than of finding him. And so, indeed, it seemed likely to turn out, for running on without looking she at length found herself in a valley she knew nothing about. And no wonder, for what she thought was a valley with round rocky sides was no other than the space between two of the roots of a great tree that grew on the borders of Giantland. She climbed over the side of it, and went towards what she took for a black, round-topped mountain far away, but which she soon discovered to be close to her, and to be a hollow place so great that she could not tell what it was hollowed out of. Staring at it she found that it was a doorway, and going nearer, and staring harder, she saw the door, far in, with a knocker of iron upon it, a great many yards above her head, and as large as the anchor of a big ship. Now, nobody had ever been unkind to Trixie Wee, and therefore she was not afraid of anybody. For Buffy Bob's box on the ear she did not think worth considering. So, spying a little hole at the bottom of the door, which had been nibbled by some giant mouse, she crept through it, and found herself in an enormous hall. She could not have seen the other end of it at all, except for the great fire that was burning there, diminished to a spark in the distance. Towards this fire she ran as fast as she could, and was not far from it when something fell before her with a great clatter, over which she tumbled and went rolling on the floor. She was not much hurt, however, and got up in a moment. Then she saw that what she had fallen over was not unlike a great iron bucket. When she examined it more closely, she discovered that it was a thimble, and looking up to see who had dropped it, beheld a huge face with spectacles as big as the round windows of a church bending over her, and looking everywhere for the thimble. Trixie Wee immediately laid hold of it with both her arms, and lifted it about an inch nearer to the nose of the peering giantess. This movement 
made the old lady see where it was, and her finger popping into it. It vanished from the eyes of Trixie Wee, buried in the folds of a white stocking like a cloud in the sky, which Mrs. Giant was busy darning. For it was Saturday night, and her husband would wear nothing but white stockings on Sunday. To be sure, he did eat little children, but only very little ones, and if it ever crossed his mind that it was wrong to do so, he always said to himself that he wore whiter stockings on Sunday than any other giant in all Giantland. At the same instant, Trixie Wee heard a sound like the wind in a tree full of leaves, and could not think what it could be, till, looking up, she found that it was the giantess whispering to her, and when she tried very hard she could hear what she said well enough. "'Run away, dear little girl,' she said, "'as fast as you can, for my husband will be home in a few minutes.' "'But I have never been naughty to your husband,' said Trixie Wee, looking up into the giantess's face. "'That doesn't matter. You had better go. He is fond of little children, particularly little girls.' "'Oh, then he won't hurt me.' "'I am not sure of that. He is so fond of them that he eats them up, and I am afraid he couldn't help hurting you a little. He's a very good man, though.' "'Oh, then,' um, began Trixie Wee, feeling rather frightened. But before she could finish her sentence, she heard the sound of footsteps, very far apart and very heavy. The next moment, who should come running towards her, full speed and as pale as death, but Buffy Bob? She held out her arms, and he ran into them, but when she tried to kiss him, she only kissed the back of his head, for his white face and round eyes were turned to the door. "'Run, children, run and hide,' said the giantess. "'Come, Buffy,' said Trixie, "'yonder's a great break.' We'll hide in it. The brake was a big broom, and they had just got into the bristles of it, when they heard the door open with a sound of thunder, and in stalked the giant. You would have thought you saw the whole earth through the door when he opened it, so wide was it, and when he closed it, it was like nightfall. "'Where is that little boy?' he cried, with a voice like the bellowing of a cannon. He looked a very nice boy indeed. I am almost sure he crept through the mouse-hole at the bottom of the door. Where is he, my dear? I don't know, answered the giantess. But you know it is wicked to tell lies, don't you, my dear? retorted the giant. Now, you ridiculous old thunderthump, said his wife, with a smile as broad as the sea in the sun. How can I mend your white stockings and look after little boys? You have got plenty to last you over Sunday, I'm sure. Just look what good little boys they are. Trixie Wee and Buffy Bob peered through the bristles and discovered a row of little boys, about a dozen, with very fat faces and goggle eyes, sitting before the fire and looking stupidly into it. Thunderthump intended the most of these for pickling, and was feeding them well before salting them. Now and then, however, he could not keep his teeth off them, and would eat one by the by, without salt. He strode up to the wretched children. Now, what made them very wretched indeed was that they knew if they could only keep from eating and grow thin, the giant would dislike them and turn them out to find their way home. But notwithstanding this, so greedy were they that they ate as much as ever they could hold. The giantess, who fed them, comforted herself with thinking that they were not real boys and girls, but only little pigs pretending to be boys and girls. "'Now tell me the truth,' cried the giant. 
bending his face down over them. They shook with terror, and every one hoped it was somebody else the giant liked best. Where is the little boy that ran into the hall just now? Whoever tells me a lie shall be instantly boiled. He, he's in the broom, cried one dough-faced boy. He's in there, and a little girl with him. The naughty children, cried the giant, to hide from me. And he made a stride towards the broom. Catch hold of the bristles, Bobby. Get right into a tuft and hold on, cried Trixie Wee, just in time. The giant caught up the broom, and seeing nothing under it, set it down again with a force that threw them both on the floor. He then made two strides to the boys, caught the dough-faced one by the neck, and took the lid off a great pot that was boiling on the fire, popped him in as if he had been a trussed chicken, and put the lid on again, saying, "'There, boys, see what comes of lying?' Asked no more questions, for, as he always kept his word, he was afraid he might have to do the same to them all, and he did not like boiled boys. He liked to eat them crisp, as radishes, whether forked or not, ought to be eaten. He then sat down, and asked his wife if his supper was ready. She looked into the pot, and throwing the boy out with the ladle, as if he had been a black beetle that had tumbled in, and had the worst of it, answered that she thought it was. Whereupon he rose to help her, and taking the pot from the fire, poured the whole contents, bubbling and splashing, into a dish like a vat. Then they sat down to supper. The children in the broom could not see what they had, but it seemed to agree with them, for the giant talked like thunder, and the giantess answered like the sea, and they grew chattier and chattier. At length the giant said, "'I don't feel quite comfortable about that heart of mine.' And as he spoke, instead of laying his hand upon his bosom, he waved it away towards the corner where the children were peeping from the broom-bristles like frightened little mice. "'Well, you know, my darling Thunderthump,' answered his wife, "'I always thought it ought to be nearer home. "'But you know best, of course.' "'Ha-ha! You don't know where it is, wife. "'I moved it a month ago. Oh, "'What a man you are, Thunderthump! "'You trust any creature alive rather than your wife.' "'Here the giantess gave a sob, "'which sounded exactly like a wave "'going flop into the mouth of a cave up to the roof. "'Where have you got it now?' she resumed, "'checking her emotion.' "'Well, Doodlem, I don't mind telling you,' answered the giant, soothingly. "'The great she-eagle has got it for a nest-egg. "'She sits on it night and day, and thinks she will bring the greatest eagle out of it "'that ever sharpened his beak on the rocks of Mount Skycrack. "'I can warrant no one else will touch it while she has got it. "'But she is rather capricious, and I confess I am not easy about it for the least scratch of one of her claws would do for me at once, and she has claws. I refer any one who doubts this part of my story to certain chronicles of giantland preserved among the Celtic nations. It was quite a common thing for a giant to put his heart out to nurse, because he did not like the trouble and responsibility of doing it himself, although I must confess it was a dangerous sort of plan to take, especially with such a delicate viscous as the heart. All this time Buffy Bob and Trixie Wee were listening with long ears. Oh, thought Trixie Wee, if I could but find the giant's cruel heart, wouldn't I give it a squeeze? The giant and giantess went on talking for a long time. 
The giantess kept advising the giant to hide his heart somewhere in the house, but he seemed afraid of the advantage it would give her over him. "'You could hide it at the bottom of the flower-barrel,' said she. "'That would make me feel choky,' answered he. "'Well, in the coal-cellar, or in the dust-hole, that's the place. No one would think of looking for your heart in the dust-hole.' "'Worse and worse!' cried the giant. "'Will the water-butt?' suggested she. "'No, no, it would grow spongy there,' said he. "'Well, what will you do with it?' "'I will leave it a month longer where it is, and then I will give it to the Queen of the Kangaroos, and she will carry it in her pouch for me. It is best to change its place, you know, lest my enemies should scent it out. But, dear Doodlem, it's a fretting care to have a heart of one's own to look after.' The responsibility is too much for me. If it were not for a bite of a radish now and then, I could never bear it." Here the giant looked lovingly towards the row of little boys by the fire, all of whom were nodding or asleep on the floor. "'Why don't you trust it to me, dear Thunderthump?' said his wife. "'I would take the best possible care of it.' "'I don't doubt it, my love. But the responsibility would be too much for you.' You would no longer be my darling, light-hearted, airy, laughing doodlem. It would transform you into a heavy, oppressed woman, weary of life, as I am." The giant closed his eyes and pretended to go to sleep. His wife got his stockings and went on with her darning. Soon the giant's pretense became reality, and the giantess began to nod over her work. "'Now, Buffy,' whispered Trixie Wee, "'now's our time. I think it's moonlight, and we had better be off. There's a door with a hole for the cat just behind us.' "'All right,' said Buffy Bob. "'I'm ready.' So they got out of the broom-break and crept to the door. But to their great disappointment, when they got through it, they found themselves in a sort of shed. It was full of tubs and things and though it was built of wood only, they could not find a crack. "'Let us try this hole,' said Trixie, for the giant and giantess were sleeping behind them, and they dared not go back. "'All right,' said Bob. He seldom said anything else than, "'All right.' Now this hole was in a mound that came in through the wall of the shed, and went along the floor for some distance. They crawled into it, and found it very dark. But groping their way along, they soon came to a small crack, through which they saw grass, pale in the moonshine. As they crept on, they found the hole began to get wider and lead upwards. "'What is that noise of rushing?' said Buffy Bob. "'I can't tell,' replied Trixie, "'for, you see, I don't know what we're in.' The fact was they were creeping along a channel in the heart of a giant tree and the noise they heard was the noise of the sap rushing along its wooden pipes. When they laid their ears to the wall, they heard it gurgling along with a pleasant noise. "'It sounds kind and good,' said Trixie. "'It is water running. Now it must be running from somewhere to somewhere. I think we had better go on, and we shall come somewhere.' It was now rather difficult to go on, for they had to climb as if they were climbing a hill, and now the passage was wide. 
worn nearly out, they saw light overhead at last, and creeping through a crack into the open air, they found themselves in the fork of a huge tree. A great, broad, uneven space lay around them, out of which spread boughs in every direction, the smallest of them as big as the biggest tree in the country of common people. Overhead were leaves enough to supply all the trees they had ever seen. Not much moonlight could come through, but the leaves would glimmer white in the wind at times. The tree was full of giant birds. Every now and then one would sweep through with a great noise. But except an occasional chirp sounding like a shrill pipe in a great organ, they made no noise. All at once an owl began to hoot. He thought he was singing. As soon as he began, other birds replied, making rare game of him. To their astonishment the children found they could understand every word they sang. And what they sang was something like this. I will sing a song. I'm the owl. Sing a song, you sing-song, ugly fowl. What will you sing about, night in and day out? Sing about the night. I'm the owl. You could not see for the light, stupid fowl. Oh, the moon and the dew, and the shadows to woo. The owl spread out his silent, soft, sly wings, and lighting between Trixie Wee and Buffy Bob nearly smothered them, closing up one under each wing. It was like being buried in a down bed. But the owl did not like anything between his sides and his wings, so he opened his wings again, and the children made haste to get out. Trixie Wee immediately went in front of the bird, and looking up into his huge face, which was as round as the eyes of a giantess's spectacles, and much bigger, dropped a pretty curtsy, and said, "'Please, Mr. Owl, I want to whisper to you.' "'Very well, small child,' answered the Owl, looking important and stooping his ear towards her. "'What is it?' "'Please tell me where the eagle lives that sits on the giant's heart.' "'Oh, you naughty child! That's a secret for shame!' And with a great hiss that terrified them, the Owl flew into the tree. All birds are fond of secrets but not many of them can keep them so well as the owl. So the children went on, because they did not know what else to do. They found the way very rough and difficult. The tree was so full of humps and hollows. Now and then they plashed into a pool of rain. Now and then they came upon twigs growing out of the trunk, where they had no business, and they were as large as full-grown poplars. Sometimes they came upon great cushions of soft moss, and on one of them they lay down and rested. But they had not lain long before they spied a large nightingale sitting on a branch, with its bright eyes looking up at the moon. In a moment more he began to sing, and the birds about him began to reply, but in a different tone from that in which they had replied to the owl. Oh, the birds did call the nightingale such pretty names. The nightingale sang, and the birds replied like this. I will sing a song. I'm the nightingale. Sing a song. Long, long, little never fail. What will you sing about, light in or light out? Sing about the light gone away. Down, away, and out of sight. Poor lost day. Mourning for the day dead. O'er his dim bed. 
The nightingale sang so sweetly the children would have fallen asleep, but for fear of losing any of the song. When the nightingale stopped, they got up and wandered on. They did not know where they were going, but they thought it best to keep going on, because then they might come upon something or other. They were very sorry they had forgotten to ask the nightingale about the eagle's nest, but his music had put everything else out of their heads. They resolved, however, not to forget the next time they had a chance. So they went on and on, till they were both tired, and Trixie Wee said at last, trying to laugh, I declare my legs feel just like a Dutch doll's. And here's the place to go to bed in, said Buffy Bob. They stood at the edge of a last year's nest, and looked down with delight into the round, mossy cave. Then they crept gently in, and lying down in each other's arms, found it so deep and warm and comfortable and soft, that they were soon fast asleep. End of Part 1 of The Giant's Heart